Warning, the following podcast contains foul language, sexual themes, and all sorts of other fun stuff. Listener discretion is advised. So I looked at the notes today when I was actually trying to find the notes that I still needed to write for this episode. Um, And I, I clicked on the details for the first episode we did. And the date it was created was May 12th, 2020. Which means we are two weeks ahead on starting Midnight Sun from when we started Twilight last year. We are almost at the one year anniversary of our first recording. Um, I'm going to begin this by reading the dedication page of Midnight Sun. This book is dedicated to all the readers who have been such a happy part of my life for the past 15 years. When we first met, many of you were young teenagers with bright, beautiful eyes full of dreams for the future. I hope that in the years that have passed, you've all found your dreams and that the reality of them was even better than you'd hoped. Let me tell you, Stephanie... Smire Meyer. My dream was not to be a college dropout making fun of your writing on a podcast. But that's where I am. That's where my life has come to. My name's Emmy. I'm Sarah. It's 2021. (laughs) We are not reading Twilight. No. We are reading Midnight Sun. We are reading the book that that literally spurred this entire podcast when you brought up that Midnight Sun was coming out and said, hey, um, I would love to read these books again with you. And by love, I mean you... (laughs) You were like, let's torture ourselves and read the books. And I was like, well, it's 2020, so we're not going to do it uh, if we're not recording it. So that's how this all began. So here we are, 30-something episodes later. Yep, this is episode 31. Not including bonus episodes. Before we get started, I I have to say right off the bat, um, Josh... (laughs) Josh has been catching up on the podcast. He wasn't listening for a while. And he texted me the other day. And I'm going to pull up his text messages because I was laughing a lot when he sent them to me. Um, But. Oh, God, I should have pulled this up ahead of time. I'm so terrible. Okay. So he's, he's catching up on it. And uh, he said, I was like, I feel like I never get a shout out. But in the last couple episode I, episodes I listened to, I got three. And then I told him that I, w- I wasn't actively shouting him out as much because he hadn't mentioned that he was listening in a while. And it felt a little silly to keep talking about him if he just wasn't listening to the show. Um, and then <laughs> he sent me the three shout outs that I gave him. One was about the smelly period. <laughs> 
because he like I think that one was when I said uh when I talked about the smelly period in the first the first time I ever spoke about it he like almost threw up or something like that um the second one is <laughs> when he criticized my Wikipedia link in my coming out post. <laughs> and then the third one was when I talked about how I would inundate him with homestuck bullshit in homeroom. <laughs> and he was like... <laughs> Uh, I said, ha ha ha, what wonderful shout outs. And he said, I know, right? What great introductions into who I am as a person. And I said, it's the truest parts of you. And he said, this Steffi walks on water and I'm the homestuck smelly <laughs> period queer. <laughs> now you see the difference between the people I hold dear and the people Sarah holds dear. <laughs> And then, and he he told me to forget I read this, but I'm going to call it out. Uh, he said, honestly shocked I didn't get called out when you had the discussion on you are only ready for sex if you can say sex, vagina, and penis, or sex and choice of genitalia for the gays. Um, and I, I imagine that this is reference to the fact that anytime someone anywhere near him says vagina his legs instinctively like squeeze together <laughs> what he like if he's just like sitting in a chair with his legs like you know straight out <laughs> in front of him you'll see you'll just like if you say the word vagina his legs will just like <laughs> i look close. forward to the next time i for some reason have a chance to see him He's probably going to come visit uh, at some point. He was going to come last year, and then but COVID. obviously <laughs> COVID. I'm just going to look him dead in the eye and be like, vagina. <laughs> He'll probably uh, feel it coming. Uh, and, then, and then I said, I'm going to call you out in the next episode. And he said, no, I'm scared. I know there are worse things you can dredge up, like dating a girl because she cried when I said no and felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not clear, Josh is gay. <laughs> so <laughs> This isn't like the seventh grade or something like that. And then <laughs> and then <laughs> then he was like, since Emmy came out as a woman, she has dated more women than I have ever dated men. <laughs> Stop reading our, t- our texts now. I've dated more women at- consistently as a woman than I dated women as a man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop reading our texts now, but Josh, I love you. Uh, you're my best friend. Never I hope you enjoyed your shout out. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that was everything you wanted it to be. Oh. Okay, let me tell you, the worst part about reading this for me is I Steffi got to bear the full brunt of one of my little mini rants the other night. Yeah. Because I read two books recently. Um, 
I went and I bought a bunch of books with gay characters. <laughs> okay. And they're they're all fantasy books, but I read the first one and when I read the first one, both of them are going to have sequels. Um but the first one, the ending was so the book was amazing, but the ending was so bad in terms of what it did to the characters that it literally made me stop wanting to write my book and I cried myself to sleep. Oh my god. I finished the other one the night before last. I still have a few more to get through. And I loved the book. Once again, it was amazingly well written, but the ending did the same thing. It wasn't as bad. I didn't cry myself to sleep, but it was still just awful to read the ending. Oh my god. And it's not the, this isn't like an unusual thing. I've had this happen a few times, especially with books with lesbian characters, and I don't know what it is. And I was like, look, I'm going to say this in terms of right or wrong, but there is no right or wrong with art a lot of the times. This is, yeah. my, this is my opinion of right or wrong. I personally think, even if, like, even if you're setting up a sequel, it's wrong when you're creating a work to leave your audience feeling entirely hopeless and devoid of any positive emotion. Yeah. At the experience they just had. Yeah. You you can have bad things happen. You can leave them thinking, wow, this character is fucked. But there has to be something good they can take from it. Some kind of shining light, a silver lining. Yeah. Something that makes you say there's a chance. But both of these books and some others I've read in the past at the end maybe just go, wow, I don't see any way this is going to work. I don't see any good coming out of this situation. All I see is things getting worse for these characters until they die. Yeah. And that feels really, really bad to read. Yeah, no, I totally understand what you mean. And then I went and read this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> All I'll add to your rant is I feel the same way about people who end the first book in their series on like a cliffhanger. I am a firm believer that the fir at least the first book in your series has to be a whole story by itself. Like you can leave it open for there to be sequels. But you cannot leave things, like, completely uncertain. Because, first of all, there's no guarantee that people are going to continue to read your series afterward. And not every book series finishes. It's just, like, <clears throat> the whole reason that they, like, made the Firefly movie was because the end of Firefly was, like, not an ending. And they needed to finish it. <laughs> so you're cool with, like, a minor cliffhanger, like... With it hanging on, there's still stuff that can be said that can be done with this story. Yeah, absolutely. But some main end point does need to be reached. Yes. Well, I mean, like, take fucking Twilight, for example. So at the end of Twilight, the it the problem as we knew it was solved. Like, Victoria ran off, and so we kind of had an idea that we were going to deal with that later, but she didn't, like, make any kind of reappearance or anything. There was no real indication that she was going to come back. Laurent had gone off to live with the Denali coven, and, you know, he wasn't going to be an issue anymore. 
Bella and Edward were together and they were still trying to solve the problem of like, is she going to become a vampire or not? But like that, that much, like that much of a future can be left up to like reader interpretation. Like, do you want her to become a vampire? Then yeah, she did. Like that's, you know, that's fine. Twilight was a complete story all on its own. And then actually, I think personally speaking, New Moon was the only book in the series that didn't have like a full ending. Like, I feel like at the end of Eclipse, even though we knew that that we were waiting on the wedding to happen or whatever, the ending of Eclipse was still pretty much an ending. Like they defeated the three main evils from this the story. So the only I, thing left hanging was the whole jury. Yep. And technically, and it, they didn't need to be taken care of. Yeah. Technically. So, yeah, no, I agree with what you said. And I agree with what I said. <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> I'm such a smart person. <laughs> I am. Bright side with the beginning of this book. Uh, Smire learned her lesson and stopped putting fucking quotes and prefaces in. Oh, yeah. There's no quote. There's no preface. We jump right into like that first day at school. And... I thought, given that, that this was going to be less excruciating than the first time that we read these first five chapters. And unfortunately, that is not correct. <laughs> I mean, it was in some ways, but not in others. <laughs> yeah, I still think it was excruciating. However, the details that we were receiving, at least on some level... I did appreciate. Yes. I'm going to say right off the bat here, I am enjoying getting Edward's perspective. I enjoy the process of consuming this book more than I did Twilight. That does not mean it's a good process. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that if this had been the first Twilight book, it would have been so much more interesting. I, I said before that... And it was obviously with the idea that Midnight Sun existed, but she was wrong to have ever set this story from Bella's perspective because every part of the story would have been more interesting to be seen from Edward's perspective. Yeah. And my the first five chapters have only solidified that claim in my mind. I Someone was on uh, TikTok because one of the biggest complaints of people who not complaints, but one of the biggest like desires for people who are really into Twilight online is for her to write a new moon, but like Midnight Sun, where it's from Edward's perspective. And then someone else was like, uh, no, let's get new moon from Jacob's perspective. And I would love that because Jacob was great in new moon. You could get, you could actually get new moon from Jacob and Ed's perspective. That would be so good. I would love, well, not good, but like, I would like it. I would, I would yeah. read it. I, based on the first five chat, like I, once we finish this, I need to be done with Twilight for a while. Oh yes. But like, based on the first five chapters of this, I could tolerate reading through the series again from Edward's perspective just to like if it went like this <laughs> yes i'm gonna say i think stephanie meyer has become a better writer since twilight first came out um it's and hard I, not to yeah but i've <laughs> known that for a while because again i do have the 10th anniversary edition of twilight and i did not read all of life and death 
But I did read a good portion of it and I liked it a lot better. And Stephanie Meyer even went into it purposefully seeking to make it better. Like she wasn't just trying to gender bend the story. She wanted it to be a better story. Um, and I think she did a pretty good job. Uh, and I can see, and I did read the, the original draft of New Moon, not New Moon, uh, of Midnight Sun uh, when it was leaked. The first, I think it was like 250 pages. Um, and I did look it up because I was curious. <laughs> I was curious if there were differences between the original PDF were you bi curious? No, I'm very solidly pansexual. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I was curious if there were differences between the PDF and the like actual revised version. And there are. Um, and I was looking through it and she like added some stuff and like fluffed it out and like made it better, essentially. Um, and the reason I was looking this up is actually because last week when we were supposed to be recording... I, uh, cause we were supposed to record on Wednesday, which was the day I got my second vaccine, but I wound up running out of time to read it. So I was at work and I was like, I need to read it. Um, and I, I need to take my notes and stuff because we were going to do it like right after I got off work. And so I was like, Oh, right after you got your vaccine. Yeah. Immediately after I got my vaccine, we were going to record it. So I didn't have any time. I wasn't going to be able to like go home and read it. Um, so I went online and I was like, I'll just read the PDF. It's the first five chapters. So I know the PDF has that much in it because it's 250 pages. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, there's differences between, uh, the PDF and the book. So what did I do, Emmy? You purchased <laughs> the ebook. I purchased the Kindle version of Midnight Sun for 15 American dollars. I need... Just to build off that point, I need everyone to know, uh, partially because I was told that if I didn't bitch about this, uh, somebody would be very upset with me, <laughs> uh, but I was going to anyway, so it's okay. I went to multiple used bookstores <laughs> to buy this book and could not find it. I had to go to Barnes & Noble and pay full price for this stupid book. Was it greater than $20.69? Yes, it was $27.99. Fuck! I didn't give you enough... I didn't loan you enough money. This book is... I, stupid. Do not pay the money. I, I went to the cashier and I was like, I need you to know I'm not happy about purchasing this book. And they were that like, poor cashier. What? And I was like, I was just bitching. I was like, I have to review this stupid book and I don't want to, but I have to. And they were like, well, I've heard it's at least better than the originals. I'm like, it's hard not to be. <laughs> I want you to know, I just tweeted the other day how much I miss working at a bookstore. And I was like, I, I said, literally, nobody says odd overly specific <laughs> off-the-cuff things to me anymore they just bully me over not wanting to pay full price for towels <laughs> and you are exhibiting exactly that fucking behavior when you went and tormented this poor cashier about not wanting to read the book you were actively purchasing i wasn't tormenting him i just wanted him to know that i was not buying the book of my own free will <laughs> It's like you were defending yourself. The other week when I took Brandon to, to, the other week 
when I went to take Brandon to get his vaccine, he was like, let's take my car because my car's cleaner. And I was like, yeah, wouldn't want these random uh, vaccine site workers to see the inside of our car and then never see us again. Like, you went to that Barnes & Noble and explained yourself to this man as though he, A, gave a single shit, or B, would ever see you again. As a former bookstore worker, if I saw someone purchasing a book that I knew was terrible, but, like, didn't quite fit into the general demographic of people who would buy that book because they thought it was good, I assumed they were buying it against their will. I will say part of the reason I felt any need to defend myself at all is because I do frequent that Barnes and Noble. Okay. (laughs) If not for the fact that I will be seen there again and again purchasing things, I wouldn't care that much. (laughs) I understand. I understand, but it's, it's, it's just so funny that you are coming to tell that story immediately after I was talking about the way, the fucking weird way that people talk to you in bookstores. There's a, there's an odd familiarity between book nerds and then bookstore workers. Uh, There's, there's, there's a shared experience between the type of person that goes to a bookstore to buy books and the kind of person that works in a bookstore. Yeah, it's like working in a bookstore is not quite like a typical retail job. Like I have plenty of people who I work with at my retail job who don't give a shit about the products that we sell. But you don't really work at a bookstore unless you like books and like care about selling them. So it's like working at a game store where when people come and buy or like working at a, a uh, LGS where you just you're going to end up in weird fucking conversations with yeah. people over magic cards or comics. Yeah. Speaking of bookstores, I went to a bookstore recently and I picked up a really wonderful novel um by the name of the host. God damn it. <laughs> by Stephanie Meyer. I tweeted a picture of myself looking at the host and Stephanie Steffi was like run away. And you know where I ran? Straight to the cash register to purchase the host. I did buy it secondhand, so I got a whole giant hard cop- hardcover copy of it for, like, $8. But it's on my I, desk now with all my other Stephanie Meyer books. I wish I could have found this used because, as you can see, I already took the cover off. Yeah. Anyways, I don't take the covers off of my hardcover books, mm-hmm. but I cannot stand the fucking cover art on this. Oh yeah, you hate pomegranates. Oh, you hate looking at pomegranates. Yes. I'm sorry. It's an arduous task. Would you like to discuss? It's been the book? 24 minutes. <laughs> I don't care. We haven't had a, like a super long intro in a while. I feel like we've been like getting right to the to the meat of of the episode pretty quickly yeah i i I feel like this intro was was reasonable though like it kind of feels like we're coming back from vacation yeah (laughs) also i'm excited that we're probably going to get through the first five chapters of this book in one episode (laughs) yeah remember when we didn't do that yeah when we had to have two full episodes an hour and a half each yes i will we had to improve our uh method a little bit before we could really get it down but i think we're we're pretty good now so chapter one 
Um, Ed is hanging out in the cafeteria with the rest of the Cullen fam, apparently staring at the wall in an attempt to blend in. <laughs> he specifically says he's trying to blend in. He's staring at the the molding on the wall. <laughs> he's like, I'm just imagining patterns in it. Yeah, he says that he like he like describes the things that they do to try to appear human, and one of them is that he stares at the wall. So the whole we have been talking this entire fucking series about how deranged it is that they just stare at the walls, and the entire time this was a strategy to try to look human and normal. Okay, here's the best part, though. I highlighted this quote from it because it it was just so on point with everything we've said. It did not happen often, but every now and then I would be struck by the obliviousness of the humans around us. (laughs) We were all so accustomed to it. We always expected it, but occasionally it seemed more glaring than usual. most oblivious town in america i really i really i think often about if we if we ever are successful enough to have merch i i really want to make a most oblivious town in america t-shirt because it's so over the top and bad but i'm glad that she decided to point it out because everybody had to be like, how stupid are these people that they no, it, don't know? It, it makes it a lot better than it's acknowledged. Yes, yes. Um, Alice is worried about Jasper because it's been a while since he last ate. Ed is unimpressed with human instincts. Uh, Jasper almost eats a girl when the heater blows her <laughs> scent at them. But Ed kicks his chair and makes a mean face, so he won't. <laughs> Uh, when Alice tries to encourage Jasper, he's rude to her, so she walks away. <laughs> okay, if I was Alice, though, like, every time Jasper was mean to me, I would just be like, hey, remember that time when you fought to keep slavery? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. But, like, would he feel any remorse is the question? is the question they never mention that he feels bad about it based on the way they they talk about people here i'm not sure he would yeah because yeah because he doesn't really care about humans alice literally says it's easier if you think of them as people yeah they are people (laughs) Yeah, it's it's I'm glad that they're highlighting more of the the fam's like personalities because you're getting to see that Jasper doesn't really care about the humans. He just doesn't he just wants to be with Alice and Alice has chosen this lifestyle. So Um, it's a lifestyle choice. (laughs) I don't agree with their lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Ed hears Jessica thinking about Bella. He muses over how everyone thinks he and his family are weird, then notices he can't hear- they are. Yeah, they are. Very. Then he notices that he can't hear Bella's thoughts. He listens to her conversation with Jessica and becomes increasingly worried when he can't get into her head. In biology, Bella walks in front of a fan and Edward becomes ravenous with thirst, seeing himself as a vicious predator and Bella as his prey. 
He makes a plan to kill everyone in the room and then Bella, but stops himself when he pictures Carlisle and doesn't want to disappoint him. I don't want to disappoint Daddy. I'm it's sorry, it's Daddy. more it's more important to him that he doesn't disappoint Carlisle than he doesn't murder a room full of children. I so I do get the feeling from this that it's not so much that it's more important to him that he doesn't disappoint Carlisle, but that knowing he's accountable to somebody helps with the Yeah feeling Uh, yeah i'm giving him shit but i do honestly understand um though listening to him plot out how to murder an entire room full of children was it's you know what it's i do the way that he thinks and the way his instincts push him to act like a monster does give a lot of credence to the way he spends the entirety of the previous series talking about how he is a monster and he is a villain and Bella should stay away from him. Yes. It makes a lot more sense, which is just pinpointing again, the fact that it never should have been from Bella's perspective. I know because it makes so much more sense when it's him and his head. I so much more enjoy the mystery of why can't Edward hear Bella's thoughts and why can't he understand her than the overblown, really obvious mystery of, is Edward a vampire? I don't know. It didn't tell me on the back of her jacket. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Ed hides in his car to avoid other humans and thinks about how shameful it is that he almost ruined his family's lives over wanting to kill Bella. He goes to the office to get his class changed, but Bella shows up and almost gets herself killed again. Ed drives the others home, and Alice points out Bella is Charlie's only family, so he shouldn't kill her. The scene with him trying to get his class changed is such a strange dichotomy to me, because on the one hand, I'm like, ew, this is fucking weird, and I want it to end, and... But he can see in people's heads, so of course this is going to happen. This is this is just a real fact of reality. Because the entire time he's talking to this woman at the desk, she's sitting there telling herself that he's too young, even though she's really attracted to him. And I'm like, <clears throat> I don't want to read about an adult woman old enough to be his mother telling herself not to fuck him. Yeah. But at the same time ignoring it that that would be a thing isn't realistic because of course it's a thing that would happen people suppress that urge and that's what she does she says no that's not acceptable to herself yeah but he hears that because of course he hears that yeah um and something i want to point out early i haven't no i haven't read your notes so i don't want to point it out early we'll get to that point when we get towards that part in the actual chapters um, but about him being young. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm referencing? Maybe. Okay. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's the end of chapter one. Chapter two. Uh, Ed is in Alaska, enjoying an all-expense-paid trip to the Denali snowscape. Um, he can't get Bella out of his mind, though. He's trying to stare up at the stars, and all he sees is these big, beautiful chocolate brown eyes floating in front of him and then tanya cannonballs the fuck out of him (laughs) uh we we do get an interesting look at their relationship and not relationship yeah and the denali lifestyle 
because apparently they don't just avoid eating people, but they like to fuck. They specifically don't kill people because they want to fuck men. They have fucked thousands. Thousands of of men. Men, according to this. Um, Ed's rejects tanya and it is made clear that it wasn't it was the last time the family visited he rejected tanya and so she's still being friendly and amicable with them and he's being friendly and amicable but it's a little tense and awkward between them yeah because of that um but similar to rosalie it's not so much because she actually wants edward it's it's because because she's not used to being rejected yeah she just wants to fuck edward yeah. And honestly, Ed, stop being such a fucking virgin. Just fuck her. I know. Honestly. Because the way, like, honestly, I loved this dynamic between them in this series because this is a series that has had so little playful flirting in it. Mm-hmm. And they are very, and she just very much is playfully flirting with him. Yeah. And I love it. And Everything like, about this series is so intense and, like, otherworldly that it's nice to see someone just being like, oh, come on. Hey, don't you like me? I'm so cute. You're so cute. You know. We're both cute. We're both but cute. Let's be cute together. <laughs> Give me the dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, But she calls him out and she's like, you're kind of being a coward, bro. Why are you running away? Yeah. And he's like, damn, you right, girl. Uh, so then he resolves himself to return home. Um, also, she calls the, she still refuses to use the word sex, despite the fact that she's implicating that these women have fucked thousands of men. Yeah, he says uh, that. Edward even says that he love that they love men like they they wanted to keep men alive so that they could continue to love them. Like it's even though it's very clear that they don't love the men that they're with. They just want to fuck them. That's the the terminology that he uses. He calls them conquest her conquests. Yeah. Uh, and also they're Russian, apparently. And I don't know if we knew that before. Uh, Tanya's a Russian name. So I knew that. But, like, well, people have names from other cultures all the time. So it's, yeah. like, the name didn't necessarily give it away to me. But Tanya, she's, Irina, Kate is just Kate. Um, apparently it was originally Katrina. Okay. Those are all Russian names. Yeah. Um, Tanya, but I, I, I think that part of her just being called Kate is part of the reason that I didn't initially yeah, make the put connection. it together. I feel like I knew that, but I... I don't remember why. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because I don't of the know. Grandson. Yeah, her her voice slips into a Russian accent for a little bit at one point, and I was like, "Oh, they're right. They're like straight up from Russia." Okay. Yeah. Um. Oh, and the other nice thing about the playfulness and the flirting is not dealing with the constant concept of fragility. Yes. That was so ever present throughout the other series. Yeah, you having to constantly listen to the fact that Bella is so fragile and Edward, you know, has to be so careful with her. It's just fun to see people like just palling around together and not being constantly afraid of literally murdering the other person by accident. Because even Bella with Jake, 
Yes. Like, couldn't she was so fucking weak compared to him. Yeah. I mean, she broke, she literally fractured her knuckle punching him in the face. And even before he was a werewolf, he was just so big. And once she was a vampire, all of a sudden she was super strong compared to Edward and could hurt him. So it was like, it was never, there was never this sense of balance. Yeah. But anyway, so Ed returns uh, and is determined not to eat Bella. So at lunch, he listens in on her conversations and the thoughts of the people around her. And he's really intrigued by the fact that she hasn't said anything about the way that he was treating her. Or how he was acting weird before he left. Yeah. Because he was expecting to come back and her confided in a bunch of people about what had happened. But she'd said nothing. Um, Emmett just keeps telling Ed to eat her and get it over with. Because everyone fucks up. Just eat her. Uh, And then Alice ends up starting it. Well, technically Emmett kind of starts the ice fight. Because he has the first, he throws it at Alice, but then after a couple minutes, she she returns fire with her own piece of ice yeah. that she had brought from outside. And it's this whole plan that she devised so that when Bella finally looked at them, they would look like they were a normal family playing around with each other. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so they head to class and Ed manages to talk to Bella. And it's basically all the stuff we already knew. It's all about her, why she came to Forks, all Mm -hmm. that. But we do get this glimpse that he sees that she's a martyr. But she's the kind of martyr that doesn't want to be recognized as such. She doesn't want people to care about the fact that she's suffering or what she's doing. She just wants to make people happy and live her life silently. Um, And one of the things, going off this, one of the things that I actually do really like about this part this version of the story is that we see all the little things bella does that makes her an appealing person that makes her an appealing person because when you see all that because she doesn't talk about the things that she does yeah because to her she's just dull and boring in her own mind Mm -hmm. but through ed we get to see these things and you see that she's actually she actually is an intelligent person and a very good person. And you see why somebody would fall for her. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. Someone, I remember before we, I think back when we were reading, I don't even know, New Moon, I saw a video where someone was talking about how in Midnight Sun, you get more insight into the things that Bella never talked about because she doesn't find herself to be interesting. So and she doesn't what... talk about the things that she does that Edward finds so lovely and endearing about her. And in fact, part of this section we do in the first book there's a part where bella's like the next spot the the next month went by uneventfully like that's literally a sentence from the first twilight book and we edward does describe how a month goes by but then he goes in depth and talks about the things that she does and it's like oh we get to see his pro his internal process of falling for her which is again another reason why we should have had this story from his perspective in the first place because you don't get any of this in the original twilight it just doesn't make any sense it's funny because we made fun of the fact that she skipped that month so much because of how much inane detail she went into with everything before it. But she flipped it on its head here 
and it's actually enjoyable only because of the fact that she did it correctly this time. Yeah. And I do think it does create good character insight because one of the things I've always been frustrated about this series with is that we don't know anything about Bella before she moved to Forks. Nothing. We never learn any of that. And your understanding through these first five chapters, and I'm sure through most of the rest of the book, it's because she didn't care. It's because she didn't think, Bella personally didn't think that it was interesting enough to talk about any of that stuff. I'm sure that's a good reason why when she was like, Edward just asked me questions all day and I just talked about myself. That's why she didn't tell us what all those questions were or what her answers were because all she was doing was talking about herself and she doesn't find any of that interesting. It's good character development, but Jesus fuck having to read the whole four books of the original series without getting this specific insight and knowing that about her (sighs) that's the problem is it's not that she wrote bella correctly for what she was trying to do but as an author she should have realized that writing bella that way was boring as fuck I don't, I wish that Twilight was Midnight Sun. Like, I wish that this was the first book that we had gotten. Because, like, watching him fall in love with her, we get to the point later, spoiler alert, where Edward is like, I think I'm in love with Bella. And it's like, I get it! I understand! I see why you'd feel that way. (laughs) I, I understand why you feel this way! Because the Bella that I read through the eyes of, I fucking hated. But the Bella I'm seeing through your eyes is a wonderful person. Exactly. She needs some self-esteem work, and I would like to see her come into her own and find the things that she can care about besides helping other people. But she's a wonderful person. Yeah. Anyway, finish your 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 description of chapter two so we can get on to those further chapters. Yeah, so after class, Emmett and uh, Ed are talking, and Emmett's once again just like, dude, it's okay to slip up. Just eat a bitch. I mean, (laughs) it happens. And we get treated to a nice little memory of Emmett slipping up and eating some bitch at an apple orchard. This is something that I specifically remembered from the time that I read the Midnight Sun PDF. And I spent the entirety of the first four books being like, so when does Emmett tell us his thing? When do we get to hear Emmett's story about how he ate the lady? We don't. You don't get it until Midnight Sun. This is the only ounce of backstory that we have for Emmett, other than when Rosalie found him after he was mauled by a bear. He ate a bitch. He ate a bitch. Though it makes sense, given the, the inside look we get at his head through edward mm-hmm. that he, we don't really get much more of his backstory because Emmett's just he's in the moment he's too flippant he doesn't care yeah about what's happened as you see with him encouraging ed to just eat bella he's just like shit's gonna happen shit's gonna happen past doesn't matter <laughs> yeah I think from his perspective, he's like, there's no use. You have to live an eternal life. There's no use in tormenting yourself by protecting this girl for no fucking reason. Just do it, get it over with, and you can go back to being good again. And again, 
this is such an interesting dichotomy that Stephanie Meyer has set up with almost every single pairing other than Carlisle and Esme. You see that the dude is good because of the girl. Like Jasper clearly doesn't care about this life, but the um he wants to be with Alice and so he's going to live this life so that he can be with Alice. And then Emmett doesn't really give a shit about this, about their, like, vegetarian lifestyle. I mean, he enjoys it because he likes killing bears. But for the <laughs> most part, all he cares about is Rose. And Rosalie is is going to live this way because she's never even tasted human blood. And she's never going to do it. And honestly, at this point, I think it's a point of pride for her <laughs> that she's never tasted it. And that's probably what's keeping... She's, like, doing it out of spite. <laughs> And then I'm just better than ever vampire. Yeah. Um and so and then Edward not really exactly the same thing, but we do see him throughout the series kind of point out that he's trying to be better specifically because of Bella. And it it paints a very interesting picture of men requiring a woman in their life in order to not be a piece <laughs> of shit. How do I not be an awful human? Gotta get that pussy. It's the only thing. Yeah, right? I um, do think, because you just talking about Rose and her pride, she is not redeemable. Smyre did not try to redeem her in this book. She And I respect that. She doubled down, and every glimpse we get of Rose through Ed's mind is her being an awful person. Uh-huh. She's a piece of shit. I don't understand how she stays with this family. I mean, and I get it. I think it's just because Carlisle and Esme are too good of people to like. Well, they're not people. Shut up. To like push the, her out on her own. And they could, I don't think they would do that to Emmett. But like. I just I don't understand because. Jasper at least does try to not suck. And he does it almost exclusively because of Alice, but he's still trying. Rosalie is a cold-hearted cunt the entire time we're reading this. She she doesn't just clearly only care about herself. Ed says in very clear words in the book, she only cares about herself. Yeah. She. It, we don't even get a hint that she also cares about Emmett. Which sucks, because I love the strong bitch plus himbo pairing trope. Like, that's a very good trope. But she's not a strong bitch. She's just a bitch. She's just a bitch. It's horrible. And Ed, um... Oh, fuck, I lost my train of thought. Maybe you'll find it again. Meningitis. All right, let's okay. go. <laughs> so chapter three, Edward and Carlisle go hunting together and Ed assures Carlisle it was the right thing for him to uh, get away for a while. Sorry, Carlisle assures Ed that it was the right thing for him to get away for a while. Oh, shit. Pause. Let's okay. get something really important. Okay. Ed points out that he doesn't think he's going to find anything interesting in the lecture. Because he already has two biology or two medical degrees. Oh my 
god! Oh my he god! He has two medical degrees. What? I know! I know! And here's the thing. I remember when he said that, and I was like... But And then later, when they're at the hospital, he's like, I can't be here. Like, I can't be around the blood. And I'm like, how did you get um, two medical degrees without ever being in a hospital? That's what I thought. And he says that his is only medicine theory. He doesn't, like, he's never done practical medicine. And I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, it could be because he's old. Yeah, maybe, I guess. But yeah, he apparently has received a medical degree Two. twice. Oh, I like that. That was insane to me. And that's just one of the things where you're like, this never came up. Yeah, right. Across four books. <laughs> um, so they discuss whether or not the family should leave Forks right now to save them the trouble that would arise if Edward kills Bella. Ed spends some time wondering about leaving on his own and gets upsetty spaghetti when he thinks about Bella living a life without him if he leaves. Edward decides to leave after seeing Bella one more time, and Alice is sad. She mentions her visions of him have all been weird and hazy, but she thinks his life is at a crossroads. I will say that this uh, this book is doing a very good job of redeeming Alice, at least. Yeah. She's she's great in these first five chapters, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see her being very a very compassionate Person. Yeah. And I think I can kind of understand why she becomes so weird and clingy in later books because she's deeply obsessed with the vision that she had of her and Bella like both being vampires together. Yeah, she It definitely seems like based on some of the things we see in these chapters that she's at the mercy of the vision she has of the future. She can't because she sees them for her, she's she's already experienced them. They're like memories instead of a future. And so she can't really separate what's going to happen from what has happened to yes. her anymore. Um, at school, Edward watches Bella struggle to walk on the ice, then saves her from Tyler's van, crushing her all fast and strong like. It's just as confusing an encounter as the first time I read it. I mean, really, Smyre does not map this out very well. <laughs> He does a gaslight and Bella goes to the hospital. Hooray. I do love... One of the things I love about seeing this from Edward's perspective is honestly Ed's mind is funnier. Yes. Compared to Bella's. And watching him just laugh at her... Thank you. So often is hilarious. Brandon brought me a drink. Yeah, he got you a body armor. (sighs) Um, yes. Uh, I was hoping that with this book, she would more properly describe the scene in which Bella almost got destroyed by a car, but no. But no. It's still confusing. She had a decade to work on that and just couldn't, she just couldn't figure it out. Could not, could not get her shit together on that. Um, and I, I know I said that Edward gaslights Bella. Um, and I, I have said it, I said it previously when we were doing the first Twilight book. And I'll say it now. I can excuse his gaslighting up until she, like, knows that he's a vampire. Because he specifically can't, because of the rules of the Volturi, which we don't even know in Twilight. Like, we don't learn about that until the end of New Moon. But because of the rules of the Volturi, which he talks about in this book, she cannot know that he's a vampire. So he has to do what he can to try to prevent her from unraveling that truth. 
So the fact that he's gaslighting her here is in a way a less vicious crime than just telling her that he's a vampire and ruining her life. Yeah, I was able to understand Mm -hmm. uh, this time why he was acting this way. Um, It made a lot more sense seeing it from through his eyes. Why he would be a little bit more cruel to her. And we also see that he doesn't always... The things that we got from her perspective where he was mocking her or making fun of her, from his perspective, that's not actually what he's trying to do. Yeah. He's trying, like, he's saying these things ironically because he doesn't believe them to be true. He's being sarcastic and he thinks that it's funny because of that. But she thinks he's being honest about yes. those things. And so it's taken differently. Yeah. Um. So it definitely makes him seem like a lot less of a piece of shit. <laughs> you also do get the perspective of him. Actually, let me read this next part because it's actually in the description. Um, so at the hospital, Ed explains the story to Carlisle, who is reassuring. Ed listens in on Tyler and Bella's conversation and is jealous that Tyler thinks she's pretty and wants to take her out on a date. Uh, Carlisle notices several marks on her x-rays, indicating that she was likely dropped quite a lot as a child. That is in the book. In the book. That is in the book. He's He literally thinks, how many times did her mother drop her when she and was a child? In case you're thinking, oh, maybe that's what caused some weird thing in her brain to not let Edward read it. No, it's not. Because one of the things we also get right before they go to the hospital is him being close to Charlie. And interestingly enough, we find out that whatever Bella has going on with her shield abilities is related to Charlie. Because Edward can't read Charlie's mind clearly either. He can get more than he does from Bella, but it's vague compared to most people. He attributes it with Charlie, at least, to the fact that Charlie just doesn't have a very vocal thought process. (laughs) He's like, yeah, because he can feel Charlie, he can hear... All he gets from Charlie is a heightened sense of anxiety. But he, he feels the emotions of it, but he doesn't feel that he doesn't hear the words. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, and I don't understand why that was never brought up before. Um, so Edward goes to talk to her and is filled with anxiety and worry as Carlisle inspects her injuries. He decides to be mean in the hopes she'll avoid him and st- he white fangs her in-, in the hopes that she'll avoid him and stop asking questions. But it pains him that his words hurt her. Bella wonders why Edward saved her and he admits he doesn't know. Um, and I definitely, and I don't want to try to like sound like an apologist to be like, oh, he feels bad about it. But like, you can, when you read it from his perspective, you see that he like genuinely is like, I don't want to have to do this, but I have to, or she's going to be killed. Yeah. He's trying, he's doing what he's doing. He knows what he's doing is wrong. Yes. he's He acknowledges that fact and he feels bad for doing it. And the only reason he's doing it is because that's the only way to protect her and protect his family. Yeah. And <clears throat> I honestly can respect that now that I am getting it from his perspective. And Once again, 
story from his perspective. Yeah. And here's the thing. Getting it from his perspective doesn't leave me going, well, there's a million other ways you could have done this. You could have said this. You could have communicated that. Blah, 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 blah. Hearing it from his perspective, I'm like, no, I see how I see how this is the only way that you could do this because there's no other like, honestly speaking, since he doesn't know her, the one of the biggest hurdles that he's having to get across is that he for his whole life leading up to now has been able to read the thoughts of anyone and everyone around him. And thus, he doesn't really have to worry about understanding people. He can just like get their thoughts and like get them right away. But he doesn't understand Bella. He doesn't know what's going to work with her and what's going to help and what's going to hurt. So he's just like trying to figure it out. And he's like, I need her to stay away from me, but I don't understand how to get that to happen because she's a fucking freak. Why are you a freak? Yeah. Well, that's the end of chapter three. Chapter four. One of the things I actually found interesting in that chapter is when he went to save her, because we get such an insight into what it does to him to be around her. Um, my first thought was, oh, he saves her. He's going to save her because her getting hit and bleeding out is actually more dangerous in this situation. Yeah, and he points that out and, a couple and, times. And it, it's it's the logical choice at that point to do something to stop it because it would be worse otherwise. And then he points it out, but he's like, yeah, but I wasn't actually thinking that at the time. I was like, what the? Yeah, what? He, point, <laughs> he points out that if she had, he doesn't even realize it until later when he's like, if she had started bleeding, I would have exposed my family even worse than whatever she thinks is going on right now. And that is true. Like, he would he would have pounced on her and eaten her. And, the, and unfortunately, the only member of his family that would have tried to stop him would have been Alice. Everybody else would just be like, I guess, let him do it. We'll figure out this problem later. Yeah. I mean, Rosalie would have been mad because she doesn't, she keeps making comments about having to start high school over again, but we know that they all have like gone to college and gotten out of high school a million times. Yeah. She doesn't want to keep, she doesn't want to restart the process and be stuck in high school for a few more years. And Carlisle's like, bro, you don't have to start again. You can just carry her. I think it was Carlisle. It might've been somebody else. It was like, it was Carlisle. Over as a senior and she was like but then we'd have to move again that much sooner and we pointed this out before um they could stay anywhere they wanted for like 10 years and people would find it weird that they weren't aging but like for the most part they're not gonna do anything about it they're just gonna they're i mean like fucking everybody thinks that pharrell williams <laughs> is a vampire because he has aged incredibly gracefully but we all just make memes about it <laughs> like, and he's famous and he's famous <laughs> these guys are just like small town weirdos and and the thing is like even if everybody was like oh my god they're vampires like they don't age it's not like they really know that they're vampires <laughs> and that they don't age they could stay in any town they wanted for 10 years and nobody would really complain but whatever. Just go around and be like, we're vampires. And people <laughs> just be like, ah, they're vampires. Chapter four. Oh my god. I what? told my mom that you were the one that started the vampire. <laughs> and she was calling me vampire in school. And she was like, I can see it. I can see why. I'm like, you're very pale. 
It's like you're pale. You have those sharp teeth. You do. Have, you have quite sharp canines, and you your eyes are also somewhat golden colored. Yes, mm-hmm. I have. I have central heterochromia, mm-hmm. which means that it leads to my eyes being both gold and uh, and green. It's like I have an orange is gold around my pupils, and it's green around the outside. Yep. My, my eyes, eyes are just green. Unfortunately. No, they're blue. No, they're not. Chapter four. <laughs> Please, uh, Amelia. So, back at school, Ed can't bring himself to spread false information about Bella. Very respectable. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. So I'm, he doesn't not... try to tell people that like, oh, she hit her head and she was seeing things. He's just like, Mr. Banner like asks him how he is and he's like, I'm fine. I wasn't hurt. And he's like, how's, how are Tyler and Bella? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. And I, I'm i like, I get that because I would also feel horrible mm-hmm. being like, oh yeah, she's just nuts. And he Hit even says like, and so now we're getting to the point where instead of doing the thing that is going to help his family, that we're all acknowledging now that we understand why he's doing it because he's trying to protect himself and his family and Bella. He's now venturing further into the territory of just being like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't just be cruel to her in the way that I think is, is the most safe. (sighs) Uh, So yeah, uh, Emmett tells Ed uh, that Jasper is ready to kill Bella to solve the problem. And that leads to Ed nearly causing a scene and Emmett has to physically hold him down in the middle of class. Um, so then after school, Ed has to deal with Rose mentally insulting him for the entire ride home. I don't know why she just doesn't do it out loud. I know. it's She's just screaming at him that he's an idiot and a bad person. <laughs> he's selfish. And I'm just like, that's kind of ironic, but all right. He just saved a life, but okay. Um... Yeah, he has to deal with that the whole time. And then he's also seeing Alice's visions of what Jasper's going to do. Mm-hmm. And he, her visions keep changing because as he's seeing them, he's planning how to cut Jasper off. And so it just keeps like falling further and further back from him getting to Bella. Yeah, he and says Alice is like every vision gets further and further away from Bella's house. And Alice is just like, would you stop doing that? <laughs> No, he will not stop doing that, Alice. I get that it's annoying for you, but damn. Yeah, I think it's bad for her because when they get to the house, you can tell that she's starting to get like one of her headaches. I think because it's hurting, it's literally hurting her head to have him do that repeatedly. Yeah. Um, I think she's addicted to looking into the future. And that sounds like a joke, but like she does it so much. It's like with him reading people's minds where when he can't read Bella's mind, it's like a huge problem for him. It's like when she can't see the future, it's a huge problem. Yeah. It's like they have a dependency on their their abilities, which I understand because like their abilities are what make them able to live the life that they want to live. But at the it's same like time, being dependent on using your right hand. Yeah. If you're a normal human, it's just a part of them. Yeah. But you see how detrimental it is to for them because yeah. these abilities aren't within the normal range of capabilities. Yeah, for sure. Um 
So once they're home, the family convenes. And Rose wants to assassinate Bella. And as Ed points out, she could do so very well because she's a master assassin. And Rose does not appreciate that. Yeah, well, she basically is like, look, I know that because she was talking about who needed to do it. And she was like, Carlisle's not going to do it because he has too many morals in his bag of morals. And nobody <laughs> Emmett else has his bag of eggs. Yes. Carlisle has, <laughs> has his, his bag, bag of, of morals. morals. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Ro- so Rosalie is like, look, I'll do it. You know that I have the control. Like literally, like clearly talking about what she did when she killed the guys who killed her. Which Carlisle does not appreciate her reference. But I do appreciate that Carlisle's like, yo, I let like I let you get away with that with murdering all those dudes because they they honestly did deserve it because what they did yeah. to me was reprehensible. Uh, but I'm not gonna let you murder an innocent person. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like respect Carlisle. Yeah, respect. yeah, for sure. Um, like he he just instead he's like, no, we're not gonna kill. He's like. It's one thing when you killed these people that had earned their punishment, but if we kill somebody who's innocent just to save ourselves and who has literally done nothing wrong, then we're monsters. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I yeah, can't. Yeah, he's right. Honestly. Especially because, like, look at Rose won't care. Emmett won't care. But that will haunt Carlisle. Yeah. He won't be able to get over that. Ed won't be able to get over that. They both care. Ed sees him. Ed sees himself too much as a monster because of his instincts to realize that he does care. Yes. About people and that he doesn't. That he does have compassion. Um, so it will haunt him until he. Is ended. Can't really die, I guess. Yeah. It'll. I get the feeling it would bother Alice, not to the same degree, but it, it would bother, bother Esme her. a lot too. It would bother Esme, and I think Jasper, based on what I'm getting from him, it it, it isn't honest. It's not completely that he's only doing it for Alice, but I think it's because of Alice he decides to listen to his good side. Mm-hmm. But he still has a good side. Yeah. Um, and I think that it would bother that good side of him. Still. But not to the, to the degree it would anyone else. He could live with it. Yeah. But he wouldn't, he doesn't like it. And it is worth pointing out that he doesn't want to kill Bella just because he wants to kill Bella. He wants to kill Bella to protect the whole family. And um, specifically to protect Alice. Yes. He says it's, he's like, I'm not going to let Alice be in harm's way. Yeah. Which is understandable. But then when Alice is like, no, he's like, well, fuck. Yeah, he, she's specifically like, I will not accept you doing it. And that's how she ends up winning everyone over. She's like, I already know that Bella and I are going to be best friends. Yeah. Because of my visions. And once that kind of starts to sway everybody, her visions kind of cascade because of the decisions being made. And she ends up seeing that there's one of two futures either ed is going to eat bella or bella is going to be one of them and he does and not like that no and it's real Emmett is just sitting in the background like come on what is going on because yeah alice is communicating everything in her mind for the most part ed's reacting to the vision out loud 
So they're getting like Ed side and a couple words from Alice. They have no idea what's happening. Yeah. And Emmett's just bitching in the corner about the fact that they don't know what's happening or why Ed's freaking out. So what kind of kills me about all of these like one-sided telepathic conversations where one of them is thinking and Edward is verbally responding is we already know they can talk so fast and quiet that other people can't hear them. Why do they not just talk out loud? I thought that when, uh, cause he does it a little later, uh, when talking to Carlisle at one point, I think, but, or to Emmett, um, but in the hospital, he specifically wouldn't reply to Carlisle's thoughts when they were looking at the x-rays because there were too many people around. And I'm like, but you don't, they don't, they won't hear you. Yeah. You can respond with that. I just. This happens in a few chapters. You use this you use this capability a few chapters from it. What? They use it all the time. And it's a Constantly. little less excusable to miss that fact on a rewrite of a book that is over a decade old. Yeah. Um, where you have used that consistently. I think she just forgets her own <laughs> rules. Like, I really think she she forgets the rules that she sets. Because there's so often where it's like, remember in the, in the very first book when the, when the nomad vampires show up and we're like, why don't they hear Bella's heartbeat? Like, we've I'm already established. I'm looking forward to, like, hopefully having some insight onto this. Yes, because we've already established that they can hear humans' heartbeats. So why is this something that they suddenly can't do and don't know until the wind blows. But yeah, so I think she just kind of forgets her own little details and stuff. I literally have a spreadsheet with bullet points of the important notes on my rules for vampires. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say of the rules that oh, she no. has just so we can call them out when no. she doesn't do it. Right. I, I wish I did. I wish that throughout this series I had done that because that would be great to pull out any given time. Four, four books later, one rewrite of the book later, a side story and another rewrite of the first book later, and she still hasn't quite gotten it down. Yeah. Um, so chapter five. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Ed runs off flipping his shit into the rain. Yes determined to not let either of those futures that Alice sees happen. <sighs> All right. So Edward decides that the best way to avoid his unfortunate future is to act normal and avoid forming any kind of relationship with Bella. Uh, when he speaks to her again, she is super nice to him, but he shrugs her off without speaking. A month goes by and Ed thinks avoiding her will get easier, but it doesn't. Uh, he hyperfixates on everything she says and does. Um, this is what we were talking about earlier, about how he suddenly just starts watching her and noticing all of the, these things about her. Um, he obsesses over whether she speaks her mind or just says what she thinks she should say, because, again, he doesn't know. Um, he observes her compassion when she asks to work with a girl in biology who is struggling. And, and not openly either. Like, it's not, it's not a known fact to her. She just realizes that. I guess it's not like something that's openly discussed. It's she's just seen that the girl is struggling and that nobody partners with her. So she goes out of her way to do it herself. Yeah, which is super sweet. And even Mr. Banner, like when uh, Edward hears his thoughts is like, oh, that's so nice. Like nobody ever works with her. Nobody ever gives her a chance. And it's nice that Bella's doing it. And she ends up passing the class because of that. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and when she speaks up for Eric at the lunch table when the others are making fun of him because they're all like talking about like their dream vacation destinations and Eric is like I want to go to Comic-Con and everybody laughs at him and Bella's like what no I want to go to Comic-Con too that's really cool and through their conversation Edward surmises that Bella doesn't even know what the fuck Comic-Con is she was she doesn't care she's just like I don't want him to be made fun of yeah which is so sweet I know what Comic-Con is I don't, I'm not, like, trying to flex. <laughs> like, if you everybody didn't knows know what, what Comic-Con was, I would... I, I, I think the only reason they get away with not knowing in this book is because this is before the super prevalent push of uh, nerd media into... You mean this is pre-Iron Man? This is pre-Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, obviously, there were lots of instances of that still being a thing in pop culture, but the huge prevalence that we get now of nerd culture and pop culture aligning is really the effect of Iron Man. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the Iron Man effect. <laughs> uh, it's just the Robert Downey Jr. of it all. Um, I love that man. <laughs> me too. He's so he's so good. Um he becomes jealous of Mike's relationship with Bella because Mike is an actual friend to her and imagines throwing Mike across the room for some ungodly reason. And I, I can appreciate this thought only because it adds on to Edward's perspective of himself as a monster. I, I laughed harshly and out loud when this came up. Hold on, where is it? I highlighted it. Just... Oh, here we go. So it was he would he kept coming up to the side of their desk in biology to talk to her. Um, he sits um, on the table. Yeah, he sits on her side of the table to talk to her, and part of the reason it annoys him is because he can tell Mike is interest. So how interested Mike is in her, but Mike doesn't perceive her as she is mike has a different version of her in his head and it's clear to ed that bella is being polite to him yes and it's nothing more and mike takes it the wrong way and so it pisses him off and he ends up saying all the same i frequently amused myself by my by imagining backhanding him across the room and into the far wall he even says like it wouldn't kill him (laughs) It probably wouldn't injure him fatally. <laughs> <laughs> and I I can kind of understand his perspective because I think purely because he is that strong. So like it's I, I'm sure we've all had a, a little bit of an impulse to punch a really smarmy dude in the face. But for Edward, it's just like I could rip his spine out through his nose. Uh, <laughs> because that's just how strong he is. And and like his perspective of mike newton and how much he hates him actually fucking makes sense when we read it from this angle because bella sees mike as a friend and we spent even the whole first book being like mike is so sweet mike is so great he's a good friend and all this stuff but what edward is seeing is that mike first of all fantasizes sexually about bella um and he also doesn't know fucking anything about her and he sees her as this completely different person than what we now know Bella to be. 
Edward says that um, Mike sees her as being just as generic as he is. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I actually, I agree with Ed. Just, yeah. I mean, I agree with him purely because now I'm getting to see the thoughts of everybody else around him. And so it makes more sense the way that he acts. Once again. <laughs> I think this is going to be a recurring theme. <laughs> uh, and yet he still stares at the wall. He does. Um, he also points out that he enjoys the fact that sometimes Bella looks at him. And, like, Alice will overdramatically be like, Bella's about to look at us. Act normal. <laughs> fucking love Alice. I know. It's so fucking funny. Because <laughs> they're specifically like, Bella's gonna look. She's, like, looking into the future just to see if Bella's gonna look at them. She just wants somebody to look at her and be like, Alice, why are you using your power for this? I know it costs you nothing, but it seems like a waste. I, like, just because of moments like this, I want the whole series from their perspective. I want it so bad. <laughs> oh my god. So, the time for the boys to ask Bella to the girls' choice dance has arrived. When Mike asks, Edward once again envisions himself violently attacking him. <laughs> <laughs> then becomes incredibly incensed at the idea of Bella agreeing to go on a date with not just Mike, but anyone at all. He has this pretty long tangential thought about the fact that he's like, I'm upset because Mike is asking her out, but I'm more upset because I know that eventually sh there's going to be someone that she's going to say yes to. It takes him way too long to understand that he's jealous. Like, it's like a revelation. Yeah, I, uh. I'll get to that in the overview. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, when Bella rejects Mike, Ed becomes all kinds of curious and wants to unravel her thoughts, as per usual. Ed and Bella argue. Bella implies Ed regrets saving her life. You remember this conversation from the first time around. I don't think we really need to go into it too much. They bicker. Um... But at least we understand that they're bickering because Ed is like, I don't understand you. <laughs> Not because he's just an asshole. He's trying to figure out what the right thing is to say and he always picks wrong. <laughs> it's honestly... He's so used to knowing what people are going to respond yeah. or thinking when he says something that he doesn't know how to have a conversation that's just normal. Yeah, it's so good. And honestly, it... <laughs> so much of it makes sense when you know that he's not trying to be a dick he just doesn't know what to say and he's guessing <laughs> oh my god eric asks bella to the dance to no avail and ed traps bella in the parking lot so she has a chance to reject tyler too ed feels pretty accomplished knowing that bella doesn't like any other boys <laughs> this this one is still a huge dick move on this part. This has not changed from the, the original story. No, it's but it's still so a dick funny. move. But it's fucking hilarious. It's so funny. It's a dick move, but it's not like reprehensible. It's just fucking funny. 
it's the what makes it better is the whole time he's ha- like he has Emmett keeping the rest of the family away yes. while he's doing this, and he and he just sees them like walking up and hears them thinking like what the fuck are you, doing? Are you doing and he just can't stop laughing and everybody is like what is wrong with you and he's just cackling to himself. <laughs> He even laughs later when he remembers the look on her face. Yeah, he, he didn't talk anywhere at all on the ride home. He would just <laughs> randomly think of Bella's face and just start giggling to himself about it. I have to wonder what the fuck kind of face she was making that he thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite part of the series. It's so good. <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm 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 having so much more fun than I was the first five chapters of Twilight. Oh. All right, so Ed goes hunting and drinks way too much to try to avoid murdering Bella. While he's out, he gets himself worked up about Bella randomly dying, and he goes to her house. Now, I'm gonna say. <laughs> I love this part. It's insane. It's insane. But I get it. As somebody who has anxiety, <laughs> it's so insane. Yes, it makes. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I'll text Brandon, and it'll take a little too long to text back, and I'm like, I need to drive to his work. I need to go make sure that he's alive. I need, okay, look, I need everyone to understand when I laugh at this, that there was a time when I lived in New York and my ex and I both went to school there that I didn't hear back from her when she got to her dorm. And so I went, I took an uptown train at like 2 a.m. It was like an hour trip to get there just to talk to the doorman to see if she scanned in at any point. She did. Turns out she just got home. Her phone was dead. And she went to sleep before she fell asleep before she plugged it in. Yeah. But I was just like, what could have happened? It suddenly makes him going into her room to make sure. Because, like, he even, like, he rationalizes it a lot, right? He's trying to be like... I break every law known to man. I may as well just do this. And 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 the thing is, like, it's it is bad. Like, I'm not gonna excuse oh, no. the fact. Ter- if anyone did this as a human person, you're you're fucked up. You're crazy. You're a stalker. This is not okay behavior. Yes. The problem is, the average human person cannot scale the side of a house, open up the window, climb inside, and sit inside without breathing for nine hours. <laughs> and so it just like it it all it honestly like i do not judge him at all for going to her house and peeking into her window because he's like she's dead she's fucking dead so a he literally is like a (laughs) meteor a meteor meteor landed on her house and she's dead like that's literally what he's thinking so when he goes to her house what kind of danger what is going to kill her she's like a magnet she is so when he goes and he peeks in her window i don't fuck i dropped my phone I'm too excited. So when he peeks into her window, I'm going to say, I don't judge him. 
as far as that because he's like he's got the access he can he can climb the side of the house and look into the window and he's freaking out about anything she's fucking dead so i don't judge him up to that point where i start to judge him is where he's like i may as well just go inside well i just i mean if i don't go in i can't he kills a spider He's even like, if it bites her, it's just going to be irritating, but I have to kill it because I don't want it to hurt her. Yeah, he's like, recent studies have shown that the spider's bite isn't actually dangerous to humans. It just hurts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, maybe he what? has a biology, maybe he has an Iraq, an Iraq, Iraq degree. But it's literally, I was laughing so hard when I was reading it. I was like, Ed, you fucking freak. I understand you so much better now. <laughs> like, from the moment he was like, a meteor could break apart across the sky <laughs> and land on her house. And I, I was just like, Ed, I feel you. I, fe- <laughs> I feel you. I get it, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> He goes into her room. And thinks about how he'd like to protect her from everything. But the biggest threat to her is himself. And that's the one thing he can't protect her from. Um, He realizes he's falling in love with her. And is sad because he doesn't think that she could ever love him back. Which... I understand now. <laughs> I get why you'd think that, bro. I know. Because he sees himself as such a, like, a monster. And it makes sense why he see. I get why he kept calling himself a fucking monster. Yeah, I get it. I understand now. I'm not annoyed by it anymore. Bella says his name. He also acknowledges that what he's doing is bad. He's also like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but like, fuck it. Just fuck it. Um, Bella says his name in her sleep. And, oh, I should mention, the reason he goes into her room in the first place, because he's going to leave, but then she talks in her sleep, and he's like, well, I gotta hear what she has to say, because this is the only, like, look inside her head that I'm ever going to get. Um, And so she says his name in her sleep, and she even says, like, please stay, and he realizes that she doesn't fear him or hate him. Because the way that she's talking in her sleep indicates that the dream she's having is not bad. She's asking him to stay and not leave her. Um, Which is good, but it's also bad. Anyway, he decides that if he loves her, he needs to be strong enough to leave her. Um, But he even says that, like, he's not strong enough right now to leave her. But he does love her and he does want the best for her. Um... Which is honestly decent insight into the way he acts in New Moon because he, he we now know that the decision for him to leave suddenly wasn't sudden at all. He's been planning it since this moment before they were even together. And the by the end of the series, I was like, I still don't know why they love each other. And yet... Five chapters yeah. into this version, mm-hmm. he's like, I'm falling in love with her. And I'm like, okay, I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand. When you get the perspective of, like, he's just been watching her and learning about her the entire time she's been there, it makes sense. Because you know that he knows who she is. Note, if any people are listening to this and think, oh, that makes it okay for me to stalk the person I'm interested in, no, it doesn't. 
It's no, that's creepy. still bad. It's still bad. That part is still bad, but everything else makes more sense and I can understand where he's coming from. The only, like, and I like this so much better, but my only problem is that now I'm thinking more and more about Bella and why she didn't make these same observations about Edward. Like, she always says that he's, like, perfect and he's great at everything. But, like, we don't get to see her, like, making these same, like, personal sweet observations about him. Yeah, I still don't know why she loves him. Yeah. And I'll say, what I'll say is, this is probably just indicative of Stephanie Meyer becoming a better writer over time. Because that's probably just stuff she wasn't thinking about when she wrote the first Twilight book. I mean, she wrote it all pretty fast based on a dream that she had. And so now that we're getting this from Edward's perspective, if she rewrote it from Bella's perspective and not the gender-bent version, if she just rewrote Twilight from Bella's perspective, which I would support, by the way, um, and we yes, got- retcon this <clears throat> shit. Yeah, and we got to see- her like actually like learning about Edward and liking him and stuff like that, then it would make more sense. But the problem is the way that he learns about her. Well, I mean, he learns about her through just like watching her and getting to know her in class, but also a lot of what he learns about Bella is through the thoughts of other people. Let's say let's, we say watching her, but it's not like he's watching her. He's just existing around her. Yes. He's learning about her the same way you learn about anybody, really, when you're in a community. Yeah, you just are being observant of the people around you, which is how he, like, you know, just learns all of these little things. He's like, he learns that she's just, like, very good and very selfless and stuff like that. Um, I'm enjoying this a lot, a lot more than I enjoyed the first Twilight book. There's still a lot that's wrong with it. Like, it's still way too wordy. And there's still yeah. a lot of time that's spent on just nothing. But, like, it's it's a lot better. It's a lot better. Um, <laughs> good Lord. The next part I said, good Lord, this chapter is long, which it is. It is. Ed goes to talk to Bella the next morning at school and they bicker as per usual. Ed asks her if she'll go to Seattle with him and she agrees, which shocks him. Uh, he tells her to stay away from him once again. He literally goes into this because he's like, I want to be by her side, but I will only do it if she says yes to me. And if she says no, then I'm going to leave her alone. And from the moment she says no the first time is when I'm going to leave and not be with her anymore. Because that's the only choice that I have. Which is good and respectful. And we love a consent king. Um, but at the same time, he still felt a little pushy in this scene. Though at the same... He felt a little pushy, but also I feel like he was just confused. Like he didn't, he couldn't tell if she was saying no or if she was like. Yeah, he does actually, he literally like thinks at one point, is that a no? I can't. (laughs) Yeah, he just doesn't understand like what exactly she's trying to convey. Which, I mean, I get it. When you're so used to knowing exactly what's in other people's brains, talking to someone who you don't would probably be confusing a lot of the time. Especially when it's someone like Bella who's so shy, she's, like, bad at talking. I imagine it would be a lot like... Maybe conversing with somebody who was born blind. Yes. Where they can't mimic the expressions that we learn to mimic. And so... 
if you're talking to them, you're not going to get all the same facial reactions yeah. that you normally register from people. And so you're not going to be quite sure. Exactly. If what the yeah. meaning that they're, if what they're saying has the meaning that you think it does. Yes. Um, but that's the end of chapter five. Um, my only <clears throat> note was these chapters are every bit uh, as tiring this time around as they were the first. I'm enjoying getting a bit of Ed's perspective, but it's still really excruciating. Yeah, I will say that she seem, she does seem to have learned from her Twilight and New Moon mistakes of these overly long-winded chapters and uh, inane details, but not not to the degree that w- that makes it bearable her chapters in this are shorter there are more chapters in this book though there are more chapters but they're a little bit at least the first couple are a little they're all around 20 pages or maybe it's not that they're shorter it's just that uh she's better at giving details that aren't so fluffy yeah that make it drawling but there's still like you said there's still a lot of extra shit we don't need a lot of the times when he's listening to the thoughts of people around her it's just like i don't care this isn't helping this isn't proving a point it's also one of the things that and and i'm willing to let it go because this is the only way for it to make any sense but something that's always bothered me about the way that telepathy is written why does everybody think in constant complete sentences Like, everybody has a constant, perfect inner monologue in which they are just thinking one continuous thought in full sentences. You don't think that way. You think your thought... Sometimes you do. Yeah, of course. I have have a strong inner voice, so, like, I do think in full sentences, but I also have, depending on the situations, I have extremely choppy thoughts where it's just a word or two. Especially a if, different word or two. if you're not doing something specific, like if I'm writing, then of course there's going to be complete sentences in my head. If I'm having a conversation, then there are going to be. But if I'm laying in bed, like looking at TikTok, there's no complete, there's not a sing, there's not a thought behind those eyes. I'm just watching. It's just, it's, and so the thing about it, about it that has always killed me is just like people who were just having like inane everyday things where maybe they're like sitting in class or whatever like the fact that they're just having very long specific thoughts in their head that are relevant to what's going on and like i don't know i'm willing to let it go i'm willing to suspend my disbelief on this one purely because it's the only way to make it make sense from a narrative standpoint but it's still just like odd you know what i would have appreciated if a lot of the internal thoughts that we didn't need were cut out and were then some of them replaced with other internal thoughts, but that just didn't make any fucking sense. Like yeah. he's just he's just sitting in biology, he's listening to fucking Laura up in the front. And she's just like hot dog. <laughs> like <laughs> like the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse song. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. Like you just have people with memes running through their heads. So that's the that I see that on TikTok a lot. Like uh, Edward Cullen in class in 2021, and like this is the thoughts that are running through our heads. Um, 
I so badly because, you know, there are some people who don't have any kind of like running internal monologue at all. Like there are no words going on inside their head until they start talking. I so badly want him because he can often focus on just one person's mental voice so he doesn't hear everybody else's. I so badly want him to just find someone who's just like. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) It's just like wind blowing through the inside of their head. And he's like, oh, thank Christ. I can can just turn it off. You've seen Super Bad, right? A, a long time ago, yeah. He just—it's just Jonah Hill's character, and all he sees is pictures of dicks being drawn in the guy's head the entire time. <laughs> but it'd just be so funny if he's just like flicking through people's thoughts, like sitting in class one day, and then he gets to someone who's just <clears throat> bent over his like notebook really intensely, and he's like, "What's that?" thinking of and he like get, dips into his thoughts and it's just penis dick. and it's just a giant dick that he's drawing in his thing with like all these little hairs and stuff like that and just like the look on his face when he's just like oh what <laughs> and see this is the thing that, like i would put it in the book if i was doing absolutely, it absolutely to make it like it and the problem is that we don't get the like okay there's a lot of funny shit in these chapters but the problem is a lot of the shit isn't really meant to be that funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's unintentionally funny. It's because she has such a staunch Mormon perspective. Oh, such as the fact that she's been married for 25 years and apparently does not like her husband. Dude, yeah, so Sarah sent me the Q&A and people are asking her about like romance and blah. And she straight up is just like, I don't think romance is real. Uh, at least not like in fiction. Um, my husband and I have been married for 25 years and it's a lot of work and it's hard. Yeah. And I'm like, um, ma'am, I like, okay, don't get me wrong. There's fiction uh, in which the portrayal of romantic love is done in a way that's not realistic. It's not uncommon. <sighs> like Twilight. Um, like actually um there's a very idealized version of it but i've read plenty of books where the romance is very realistic where there are these people with faults and problems that they have to work through together and who still have a passionate love for each other so no ma'am that it is entirely possible to have a deep romance. That's yeah. a that's a you thing. Yeah. Hey Brandon. <clears throat> come here. We'll see what Brandon has to say about this subject. I have to say that it just adds more fuel to the fire of my lesbian theory. <laughs> that lesbians are better at love or No, that she is a lesbian. That she is a lesbian. That's a great theory. Hey, do you think that romance is real? In what context? Like, in real life, like, do you think that, that love is, like, you can have, like, romance with your marriage? Sure. Sure? Romance is an abstract concept, so it's kind of hard. It depends on what you're finding meaning by it. Do you think that our marriage is romantic? What do you mean by romantic? You Change passion. Change pa- okay, passion. Okay, okay, okay. Is it passionate? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I guess. 
mean, <laughs> Such passion. <laughs> I, I need a quali- I need to ask a qualifying question. Okay. Is spending four hours playing card games and then three hours watching an action movie while eating Guy Fieri food and drinking White Claws passionate? Yes. Yes. Uh, then yeah. <laughs> that was our night last night and it's probably going to be our night again tonight I just need you to know that (laughs) I'm getting my second dose tomorrow and at any point in the near future you're liable to have me just show up (laughs) naked on your balcony with a deck of magic cards why are you naked just go to the door why am I on your balcony (laughs) just go to the door (laughs) look that's the end of chapter 5 I'm done with this section Oh my god. It was entertaining. Um it's I will I think the best way to say to to sum this up is <clears throat> getting it from Ed's perspective makes basically every part of the book make a lot more sense. Uh-huh. Uh it makes it better to read. That said, what's keeping me reading it is the desire to see how much better it is and if this was the first book by itself that ever came out of Twilight and I was reading it right now. I would not keep reading it. Yeah. It's only the fact that I've read through the previous four and I'm doing this for a podcast that I would continue to read it because I really want to see how much better it is. Yeah. But it's still not good enough for me to to keep going. No, I totally agree with you on that one. Um, And I think that that's going to continue to be the consensus throughout the book. But I do look forward to reading it because I'm enjoying it a lot more. Yeah, after Breaking Dawn, oof. <laughs> yeah, right? Honestly, it would be hard for it to be worse. <clears throat> anyway. And this is one of our longest episodes. I know. In a while. And I, I, I honestly kind of predicted it being this long because it's the same shit that we covered in our first... Brandon locked the cat in here. <laughs> in our in our first two episodes, we have now covered the, the the same amount in like an hour and a half that we covered in three hours the first time. So I'm not mad about it. It's probably just going to have to be long. Maybe we can cut some stuff out, but I don't really feel the need. Um, yeah, and I mean, a lot of it was just our extra conversation too. <laughs> yeah. Follow us on Twitter at 2020 Twilight Pod. M is at M of many names. I am at Sarah S Wilton. Shoot us a coffee over at ko-fi.com slash 2020twilightpod. Hit us up in our email, literarymasterspod at gmail.com. Please send us an email. I want to read people's reactions because I get, we get, we get a nice amount of reactions on Twitter. Um, We got another lovely comment from Des on Podbean pointing out that when we previously said that Stephanie Meyer did cocaine, there's no fucking way that she did cocaine. (laughs) Her great sin was probably <laughs> drinking espresso. <laughs> One of the Q&A questions was like, what do you find relaxing? Like people like to drink a bottle or a glass of wine at the end of the night. And, St- and Stephanie Meyer's and she's like, well, I don't drink alcohol. So not that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to grandstand. You can just tell me what it is without telling me what it's not. Come on, dude. <laughs> Oh my god. Send us an email. Hit us up on Twitter. Our DMs are always open. I really want to hear from y'all. It means a lot. Listen on Podbean where you can leave comments yes. like Dez. <laughs> uh, 
please. I love shouting y'all out. I love reading your messages. I love getting your feedback. It literally means the world to me. We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the interactions that we're getting. Literally, we wouldn't have a consistent schedule if it wasn't for Steffi crying over us putting an episode Let's out see. late once. Steph. Steffi. Uh, just like, what are they? Steffi, Josh, Jen, Des, Akaya, who I haven't heard from in a while. I think she's, she still follows us. I don't know if she yeah. still listens. And then, oh God, one of the girls from Shotgun Saturday Nights. Colorado fangirl, yes. but I don't know I her don't name. Know what her name is. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. You're so sweet. I don't know what your name is. But she's always shouting us out in threads where people are recommending podcasts and stuff like that, which is super nice. We literally just like love all of you and it means so much to us every time she we get to hear from you. Shotgun Saturday Nights? Yeah, she does Shotgun Saturday Nights. Which is a King Falls AM fan podcast, and it's mixed with another podcast that they're also fans of. And I I haven't listened to all of their stuff, but what I have listened to is really funny. So if you really like King Falls AM and want to listen to some people react to it, go check it out. That's the end. Drawing penises in my notebook. (laughs) See you next week. Bye. Bye.